Before I start this week's edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just a thank you to Sora Shimazaki at Pexels, who took the photograph that adorns the front cover of the pod. Hello and welcome to This Week in Financial Crime. I'm your host, Chris Kirkbride. It's been a quiet week this week. Not so much, which is a good thing. Sanctions top the list of stories again, but there's not much there, but there are a few bits that are of interest. Some moves to combat benefit fraud, some bribery news old and new, and news of an upcoming special, another upcoming special of the Financial Crime Weekly. Let's start with sanctions. Scale and speed of Russian sanctions is really starting to slow globally, as the most notable industries and individuals seem to have been sanctioned by now. The stories now have a mopping up sense about them, but it certainly doesn't mean it's the end of things. We'll start with the UK, where it has been a quiet week on the sanctions front, which is welcome to anyone, I suppose, who's had to deal with the continuing compliance consequences of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. A few limited points to note. First, in relation to targeted individuals, we've mentioned over previous weeks the sanctions imposed on Roman Abramovich, ally of Putin, with extensive financial interests in the Russian Federation, as well as being the owner of Chelsea Football Club. Chelsea Football Club, which has been up for sale for nearly three months, will finally complete its sale to the Todd Bowley Clear Lake Capital Consortium. According to reports, the sale process has reached a definitive stage, having received UK government approval, and will go through on Monday the, 20, uh, the 30th of May. This isn't a moment too soon, since the licence under which Chelsea FC have been operating since 10th of March 2022 comes to an end on the 31st of May 2022, this coming Tuesday. The proceeds of sale of the club, believed to be around £2.5 billion, will remain frozen in a UK bank account until the UK government receives assurances that the funds will be used solely in support of humanitarian efforts to support Ukraine and its nationals. The second story from the UK relates to Alexander Lebedev, whom we reported last week had been sanctioned by the Canadian authorities for his ties to, and as being alleged an alleged enabler of, Putin and his activities. Lebedev is, as yet, not sanctioned either by the US or UK authorities, but that doesn't mean there hasn't been activity in the background. Lebedev, like Abramovich, has financial interests in the Russian Federation, but also links to the UK, where he is the owner of both the Independent and London Evening Standard newspapers. Well, The Guardian reports the company's house filings show Alexander Lebedev resigned as a director of Independent Print Media Limited on the 20th, 22nd rather, of May 2022, as last Sunday. This action the report suggests, may protect the independent from any issues relating to sanctions. Uh, to be frank, I think that's an optimistic view, since Lebedev is still listed as a person with significant control at Company's House, and just as with Roman Abramovich at Chelsea Football Club, this may not stop any future sanctions impacting its operations. That said, I do think that this is an indication that sanctions interest may be developing outside Canada, but much will depend really on how compelling the evidence against Lebedev proves to be to the UK authorities. Now let's move beyond the UK. In the European Union this week, 
Uh, a couple of stories relate to the invasion of Ukraine. First, the Council of the European Union adopted a regulation permitting certain trade concessions in respect of some Ukrainian products. This is a general act of support for the Ukrainian economy and private enterprise during the period of the invasion. It has the effect of the suspension for a period of one year of import duties on all Ukrainian product exports to the European Union. Particularly, it suspends all tariffs under Title IV of the Association Agreement between the EU and Ukraine, establishing what's described as a deep and comprehensive free trade area, which hadn't yet been liber uh, liberalised. The suspension covers notably industrial products subject to duty phase-out by the end of 2022, fruits and vegetables subject to entry price systems, and agricultural products and processed agricultural products subject to tariff quotas. It also suspends the collection of anti-dumping duties on imports originating, uh, originating in Ukraine and Thirdly, it suspends the application of the common rules for imports with respect of imports originating in Ukraine. Additionally, the European Commission has proposed new rules criminalising restrictive measures violations, together with proposals for the freezing and confiscation of assets where there is a violation of restrictive measures. The proposal would create a common basic standard on criminal offences and penalties across the European Union, making the investigation, prosecution and punishment of violations of restrictive measures consistent across member states. The potential criminal offences could include, first of all, engaging in actions or activities that seek to directly or indirectly circumvent circumvent the restrictive measures, including by concealing assets. Secondly, failing to freeze funds belonging to, held or controlled by a designated person or entity. And thirdly, um, engaging in trade, such as importing or exporting goods covered by trade bans. Insofar as the freezing and confiscation of assets is concerned, the Commission makes a proposal for a directive on asset recovery and confiscation. Like all such schemes across the globe, they're designed to deprive individuals and organisations of their ill-gotten gains in order to show that crime does not pay. The proposed rules would operate generally as well as to the violation of restrictive measures, ensuring that effective tracing, freezing, management and confiscation of proceeds derived from the violation of such restrictive measures. That's it for uh, that's it for sanctions. Let's leave that for this week and move on to some fraud bits and pieces that have turned up this week. If you've listened to the Financial Crime Weekly special that I published last Wednesday, the major theme of that was fraud. Uh, the podcast looked at the highly critical Public Accounts Committee report into the UK government's handling of the COVID-19 business support package and the estimated 4.2 billion, it is only an estimation, in irrecoverable losses made on that scheme. Well, perhaps in an effort to shift the optics, the government rehashed a proposal this week, which was originally trailed in December 2021 and focused on a particular favourite, namely the fight against benefit fraudsters. The proposals will give specific powers to require banks to disclose information about customers. Now, 
There's nothing particularly novel in this. Banks have a well-understood obligation of confidentiality under English law. They're under a duty to keep information about you confidential, both at common law and under some statutory rules. But that obligation is a qualified one. It's not an absolute one. And it doesn't extend particularly to those circumstances where the law compels disclosure of information. And this proposal would fall into that exception. At the moment, the Department for Work and Pensions, the DWP, can only request data from banks where a particular individual has been identified following investigation. However, the proposal seeks to widen this power to those as yet unidentified, thus broadening access to information. When I was teaching banking and finance law, I frequently commented that a bank could know more about your behaviour, your comings and your goings, than your partner. It would seem, should these proposals be implemented in full, that not only banks, but also the DWP, the Department for Work and Pensions, would know just as much information about you as the bank. Now, the DWP press release, which accompanied the announcement, provides, and this is a direct quote, this change will allow the Department for Work and Pensions to proactively identify potentially fraudulent claims. For example, knowing if claimants have too much in savings or are living abroad, which would make them ineligible for universal credit. The government estimates that the scheme will save the taxpayer £2 billion once the powers have been implemented and the implementation date is believed to be next year. Now that figure, large as it is, is just under half the amount which was lost during the COVID-19 business support scheme frauds. That's it for fraud. I want to end this week's pod by thinking about bribery. Been a couple of bribery stories this week. One old, one new. Uh, one relates to the continuing fallout from the Rolls-Royce bribery, bribery scandal, and the other is a new case relating to alleged bribery at Glencore Energy UK Limited. It'll be recalled, uh, those of you who've been interested in financial crime for some time, that in 2017 Rolls-Royce was made the subject of only the third, what was the third then, then third, Deferred Prosecution Agreement, or DPA, in the United Kingdom. Rolls-Royce, so the Serious Fraud Office investigation concluded, had been engaged in corrupt practices in at least seven countries, paying, bri paying bribes to secure contracts for a period of almost a quarter of a century. Indeed, Rolls-Royce's actions were described at the time as the most serious breaches of the laws on bribery and corruption. Now, while the Rolls-Royce case itself may have been settled by that deferred prosecution agreement, the investigation didn't stop there, with other agencies then becoming concerned to see that the network behind Rolls-Royce and its operations was held to account for their actions. This week, therefore, the Financial Reporting Council, the FRC, announced sanctions against KPMG and uh, someone called Anthony Sykes in relation to the provision of statutory auditing services to the Rolls-Royce Group for its accounts for the financial year to the end of 31st of December 2010. The findings relate particularly to a failure to address the risk of non-compliance by Rolls-Royce with laws and regulations respecting two particular sets of payments made uh, by the company to agents in India. Now, these payments, interestingly, represented two of the bribery and corruption counts which formed part 
of the 2017 Deferred Prosecution Agreement, to which Rolls-Royce agreed. In terms of the sanctions that the parties KPMG and uh, Mr Sykes uh, had, well, KPMG received a financial sanction of £4.5 million, which was adjusted after admissions and early disposal to £3,375,000. And in addition to that, it received non-financial sanctions. Now, the non-financial sanctions were a severe reprimand. Secondly, a declaration that the statutory audit report for the audit did not satisfy the relevant requirements and a requirement that KPMG commission a review by an appropriate external independent expert of the effectiveness of the firm's policies, guidance and procedures for audit work in the area of an audited entity's compliance with laws and regulations. Mr Sykes, the other party, received a financial sanction of £150,000, which was again adjusted down for admissions that were made by Mr Sykes and early disposal to £112,500 and non-financial sanctions. Now, the non-financial sanctions, again, comprised of a severe reprimand and also, just like with KPMG, a declaration that the statutory audit report for the audit did not satisfy the relevant requirements. Now that's the second, uh, the first one, something old. Now for something new. The second story relates to Glencore Energy UK Limited, or Glencore, which had been char- which has been charged by the Serious Fraud Office with seven counts of bribery in connection to its oil operations in uh, Cameroon, Equatorial Guinea, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, and South Sudan. The case is that Glencore agents and employees paid bribes worth over. 25 million US dollars for preferential access to oil, uh, those payments being subsequently approved by Glencore. Glencore indicated at the hearing at Westminster Magistrates Court on Tuesday of this week that they will plead guilty. Presumably, therefore, a deferred prosecution agreement will follow. The SFO investigation was run in parallel with an investigation by the US Department of Justice, which is already dealt with this matter to a significant degree, and also prosecuting authorities in the Netherlands and Switzerland. Glencore is charged with seven counts of bribery under the Bribery Act 2010. Five are offences of active bribery under Section 1 of the Bribery Act 2010, and two of the corporate offence of failure to prevent bribery under Section 7 of the Bribery Act 2010. Sentencing will take place at Southwark Crown Court on Tuesday, June the 21st. Now, this failure to prevent offence, it's received a reasonable degree of prominence recently, given the Coca-Cola case, which I covered in the Financial Crime Weekly podcast a few weeks ago, where, if you'll remember, Coca-Cola was the victim uh, in a bribery case. But I also covered it in the Financial Crime Weekly podcast special edition, which I released last Wednesday, because the thinking is that it will act as a possible template for other corporate failure to prevent offences, which were in the Economic Crime Manifesto, which was published by the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Anti-Corruption and Responsible Tax. And again, I discussed that in the special edition published last Wednesday. Therefore, for those unfamiliar with the provision, I'll do another special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast this coming week. 
to explain the provision with a bit of commentary on and uh, a bit of commentary on that provision as well as the use of deferred prosecution agreements because that's certainly where we're heading with the Glencore case. That will come out this coming Thursday, 2nd of June, so look out for that. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Subscribe if you want to, wherever you get your podcasts, and I'll speak with you on Thursday. 